So I don't know if you ever look at this before we get moving on things. If you notice the top question on the notes for this morning, has anybody ever asked you to do something that made you uncomfortable? You may have got uncomfortable reading that question, wondering what we're going to ask you to do. Uh, but uh, have you ever gone to a church and at the beginning they announce, this morning we're going to do a foot washing, and so go ahead and take your shoes off. Or you go to a small group and the leader says, okay, I know that uh, this is our first time, but tonight what we're going to do is go around the circle. We're all going to tell our name and where we grew up and the worst sin you ever committed. All right? Uh, or, or you hear things like, put your hands over your head and no one will get hurt. That might make you uncomfortable. Or step up on the scales and let's take a look. Turn your head and cough. Uh, I heard about a man who went to the doctor to have a mole removed from his chin, and when the nurse called him back, she said, third door on the left, take off all your clothes. And he said, no, I'm, I'm here for the mole on my chin. She said, third door on the left, take off all your clothes. But you don't understand. It's just the mole on my chin. Third door on the left, take off all your clothes. So he goes down the hallway, and he opens the door, and there's another guy in the room already, completely naked. And the guy with the mole said, man, she sure is mean. He says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone has ever asked you to do something that made you uncomfortable. And maybe you were uncomfortable because you weren't sure it was something you wanted to do. Or maybe, maybe you knew you should do it and didn't want to. It can feel pretty awkward when you are conflicted uh, like that. But how about this? Has God ever asked you to do something that, you're, that made you uncomfortable? And maybe it's something you read in the Bible, or maybe it was a nudge that you felt from the Holy Spirit, and you knew there was something that you should be doing or you should stop doing, but you knew it was going to be really difficult because people would take notice that you started or stopped doing something, and they would start asking you questions that you didn't want to answer about why you were now acting this way. Listen, this morning we're going to begin looking at a man who was a follower of God, devoted follower, devoted believer. As a matter of fact, and Rich mentioned, he was a prophet called by God to preach and teach, to warn people of their sin and to help them turn around. Only this guy makes a U-turn himself and starts heading in the wrong direction. Basically, he was a believer who was living in disobedience, and God decided he was going to get his attention in a huge way. His name was Jonah. And you probably remember his story. It's about the little boy who ended up in the belly of the whale with his father, Geppetto. And I'm sorry, that's the wrong story. Wrong Old Testament story. Actually, the book of Jonah, Old Testament, dates around the 8th century B.C., 780 B.C. He's a prophet and kind of a big deal. And I don't know if this is the only story you know about him or not, but he is not a one-trick pony Jonah's also mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 where God uses him to help uh, the king, uh, Jeroboam, enlarge the Israelite territory. So there's more that goes on in Jonah's life than just this story. The other books of prophecy in the Old Testament are the stories of prophets getting a message from God to take to someone, usually it's the Israelites, telling them to shape up or ship out. And this one starts out just like that, but quickly becomes a story of a prophet's struggle with God. So over the next five weeks, I want to encourage you uh, to bring your Bible. If you didn't this morning, that's okay. Uh, we're going to put it on the screen, but I do want you to bring your Bibles uh, and to read this. Listen, I'm going to encourage you over the next five weeks to read this story for yourself. It's only four chapters long. Uh, our midweek connect, I hope you've signed up for that. 
uh, is going to be following along with our Sunday morning. So on Wednesday night, we're going to come back and talk about this. You can sign up for that, I believe, on the Bible app uh, if you've got your app open. Uh, so uh, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, and if you don't have one, we've got one we'd love to give to you. But here's the thing. I wonder how many people in the room have never found Jonah in their Bible on purpose, right? Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Find it for this series. Mark it so you don't lose it. And then just follow along. Sort of a source of pride. So you can tell your friends you know where Jonah is. Uh, and as you read, you'll see that this story highlights just how powerful God is. We're going to see just how in control he is and how he will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And it's a story about a God of second chances, about a God who doesn't play favorites, which most of the time we all like, but today may hurt our hearts a little to discover that we want God to be sure and save most people, but maybe not all people. So listen, if this is your first time to MCC, uh, you picked a good week. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor. And today we begin this series on Jonah. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there as well. Our hope is that as you follow along in the story of Jonah, that you'll be encouraged to take your next step in your faith journey, and that we can be a part of that. So let's take a look at how this starts. Book of Jonah. Uh, Rich read some of this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. We're going to stop for just a moment to talk about Nineveh in its heyday, walled city, circumference of about seven and three-quarter miles, could house up to 180,000 people, although we're told at this time only about 120,000 people lived there. Uh, and Nineveh was not just a big city. King Sennacherib had made it the capital of Assyria and had his palace built there and then had the whole city remodeled. It's about 500, east, uh, 500 miles east of the town where Jonah grew up. We call, today, we call it today northern Iraq. Archaeologists have revealed uh, that this was a city of wealth and power. The palace itself was over three city blocks big. Nineveh had parks and water gardens. It had a library that boasted 1,500 volumes. Sounds like the kind of place you might want to visit, except for what the rest of God says in this verse. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. And it's interesting, when you read this book of Jonah, it never tells you what the wickedness of Nineveh is. But other, other prophets tell us of their cruelty and plundering in war. We're told they scorched their enemies alive to decorate their walls and their pyramids with skins. Nineveh was a place of prostitution and witchcraft. They were sexually unrestrained, reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah. Assyria was a great and terrible conqueror of other nations. They were the arch enemy of Israel. And Jonah hated them more than he loved God. I want you to hear that. Jonah hated them more than he loved God. So write this down. This in your notes. I want to make sure you get this. Jonah had a God does not get this part of his heart. He had part of his heart that God was not going to get. And that's a lot of blanks to fill in, I know. But it's important that you get that this morning. So while you're writing, I'll just keep talking. I want to share a couple more things about this. Because, uh, listen, I think it's important to note, if this, is, if this describes you as well, and it most likely describes most to all of us in the room, we all have this part, my guess is Jonah, he may never have talked about this to anybody else. Or, or most of the Israelites may have, may have hated them so much that they talked about it all the time. 
the Syrians had destroyed the northern tribes of Israel. They'd committed atrocities uh, of, of war against his own people. It would be like sending a survivor of the Jewish Holocaust to Germany to lead people to Christ. It would be like sending a survivor of 911 to reach Muslim extremists in Iraq. When Nahum, the Old Testament prophet Nahum, talks about Nineveh, he says this, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. The Assyrians were a cruel and heartless people. And when the Assyrians conquered your city, Husbands were killed and wives were raped. Assyrians engravings depict people being tortured, skulls worn around their necks to show their cruelty. When they took a town in battle, they would take any survivors and they would impale them on stakes in front of the town. Soldiers who were captured were skinned alive and buried up to their neck in the sand. Then their tongues would be pulled out and staked to the ground in an attempt to watch you go crazy, thirsting for a drink of water. And if that didn't kill you, you would be beheaded. And after a battle, they would pile the skulls of their enemies in a pyramid outside the city just to send the message. If you mess with the Assyrians, if you don't do what we say, this is what will happen to you. They saw themselves as untouchable and invincible, and God had had enough, and he was going to take them out. And even though he didn't owe them any warning whatsoever, in his grace, he sends Jonah with a warning except Jonah didn't want to go. Because later in the book of Jonah, so this is going to give you a little bit of insight into later in the book, he says this. Jonah tells God the reason he didn't want to go because he knew if the Assyrians repented that God would forgive them. And he didn't want that to happen. Listen, in, in Jonah's life, it was the Assyrians which begs the question, who is it for you today? Or what is it for today? Or For you, what is your God does not get this part of my heart? What part of your heart is that that God doesn't get? Because seriously, nobody's perfect. Nobody, Listen, nobody here needs to pretend to be perfect because we know that we're not. But there's a difference between perfect and, oh, no, you don't, God, right? I mean, there's a big difference there. Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So listen, for some... We have already hit your next step in your walk with God because we have to be aware of what's in our hearts and the damage it can do if we allow it to live there. That's why Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Everything else, every other part of your life flows from what's in your heart. And we see how that plays out immediately in the story. You know, it's interesting. It doesn't take long for the book of Jonah to tell us what the problem is. And besides his dad's name, we aren't really told anything about Jonah, about himself in the introduction. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how successful his ministry has been to this point. We don't know if he has any brothers or sisters, sons or daughters. Did he go to college? Was he married? Did he play sports? Was he a Buckeye fan? (laughs) Of course he was. Uh, He was a man of God. Uh, In the first three verses, which set the stage for everything that follows, Right? Listen, but the only thing we find out about Jonah is that God told him to go in one direction. Look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. 
And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. If the subject of of, uh, Nineveh ever came up in Jonah's prayer life, the only thing he was praying was that God would wipe them off the map. And so when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, he said in no uncertain terms, I will not. And so verse 3 tells us that Jonah ran from God. So on your notes, I'm going to make sure you get this too. Jonah's heart issue, listen, we think it's no big deal. There's just this little part, this closet that we've got hidden in our heart. But this heart issue manifested itself in willful disobedience to God. Willful disobedience. Which, by the way, is not as unusual as it might sound. I struggle with this every day. There are people that God tells me to love. But quite frankly, they're hard to love. There are thoughts God tells me not to have. But I like having them. There are opportunities that God puts in my path. But you know, sometimes I just as soon sit in my overstuffed chair at home and watch TV. And before you look at me like you're disappointed, may I ask if sometimes you're not just like me. God gives you opportunity and prompts your heart, and you say no as well. Every day, followers of Jesus struggle with disobedience. But the thing is, sometimes it becomes more than just a struggle. Sometimes we aren't wrestling with the day-to-day challenges of, of walking with God. Sometimes we completely blow it, we, right? We, we, this careless neglect becomes stubborn defiance, which can lead to open rebellion. That was Jonah. He didn't just go in the opposite. Listen, he didn't just get slightly off course. He ran completely away from his responsibility. And thousands of people's lives were at stake. And he went AWOL. So he runs from God. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've run from God. It's not just a subtle difference from what God has asked you to do. It's not like you set out to go to the Dayton Mall and you end up at Walmart, right? Not that far away. It's just around the corner. It's the opposite direction. And so the question is, what's the opposite direction of God? And I like this definition. Every time we declare our dependence and say, I don't care what you say, God, I'm not doing that. That's the opposite direction. I don't care what you say about forgiveness. I don't want to forgive them. I don't care what you say about sex outside of marriage. I'm doing what I want. I don't care what you say about integrity in the classroom and in the workplace. I will do what I have to do to get the grade that I want, to get the pay raise that I want. I don't care what you say about the words that I use. I will say whatever I want. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Willful disobedience. It's never slightly off course. That's running in the opposite direction of God, and that's what Jonah chose. And this is why our God does not get this part of my heart issue is so important to recognize and intentionally work on. So check this map out. Jonah was born in Gath Hefer. He was told uh, to go to Nineveh. And it says, right, uh, that, uh, that he went to Joppa, which is a seaport, right? Do you see it there? Just uh, north of, uh, of what we know as Tel Aviv today. And if you wanted to sell, sail anywhere in the world, this is where you would go to sail there. I mean, anywhere in the world you could get there. But have you noticed anything on this map specifically about where he's from and where he's told to go? There's no way to get there by boat. 
That's over land. You don't get there by boat. When he went to a seaport, he had already been. Listen, according to the Archaeological Study Bible, uh, no one really is sure where Tarshish even is. Some scholars suggest it might have been off the northern coast of Africa, some off the island of uh, uh, Sardinia, something. Tarshish became Tarsus, which in the New Testament becomes the hometown of the Apostle Paul. Some think it was in southwestern Spain, which is about 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. John MacArthur, Bible scholar, suggested it would take a year and a half to sail from where he was to where he wanted to go. That's a lot of running from God. The point is Jonah's trying to get as far away from Nineveh and that responsibility as he possibly can, so he went in the opposite direction. God said, Miami, Florida, and Jonah said, nope, I'm going to go to Anchorage, Alaska. Have you ever tried to escape from God? On your notes, please get this. There's something we know in our heads that sometimes we have a hard time convincing in our hearts. I can't hide from him. And if you didn't know that before you came in this morning, it's real important you know it before you get out. We cannot hide from God. I was a youth minister for 13 and a half years, and I would have lock-ins, as youth ministers do, and we would inevitably, back in the day, play sardines. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, it's the opposite of hide-and-seek, where... Uh, and in sardines, one person goes and hides, and everyone goes looking for them, and when you find them, you hide with them. So eventually, you know, the group just keeps getting bigger and louder. Uh, I found a great spot in my home church to hide. Uh, now, remember, the lights are out. I would go into the bathroom and climb on top of the stall wall. And to be clear, this is more of a confession than an endorsement for you to do the same thing. I would get up there and I would sit there. No one could see you, and very few people were reaching that high to touch anything. I had found the spot where no one would ever find me. You ever feel like you've done that with God? Found the spot where he can't find you? Look at what Jeremiah reminds us. This is God speaking. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them? Do not I fill heaven and earth? He sees everything. And so when I was growing up, we had what we called the eyes of the neighborhood on us. So this would have been back in the 60s and 70s. Stay-at-home moms with big windows they always seem to be looking out of. Ruth Weitzel, Betty Flesh, Marie Hazlett, Fran Horton, Audrey Gleisner. And I remember one time when mom was at work and dad and I were sitting on the back porch uh, of our house found a firecracker in my coat pocket. To this day, I'm not sure how it got there. I thought dad would give me the fifth degree, but when I pulled it out and looked at it, kind of surprised, I looked at him, he looked at me, and he said, light it. And uh, so he pulled his lighter out of his pocket. I lit it. It blew. We laughed. That was it. Except that night at dinner, mom wanted to know why we let off a firecracker, where did we get it, and did we know that letting off fireworks within the city limits was against the law? We couldn't get away with anything because the eyes of the neighborhood were always on us. It's what Hebrews reminds us about God. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It is futile. It is futile to try to hide from God. But when we really want to do something, even and especially when we know what's wrong, or we really don't want to do something that we know we ought to be doing. Our heart convinces us of something uh, that our head, let's convince our head, 
that no one will know. And Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And we know that here. But sometimes it's hard to convince us here that God really knows all that. And so like Jonah, we run. This is a picture of Chris Johnson. He retired from the NFL last November. <clears throat> he still considered the fastest man to ever play the in the NFL. He ran a 40-yard dash in 4.24 seconds. This is Olympian Usain Bolt. He's considered the fastest man ever in the world. He's never been clocked in the 40-yard dash, but based on other comparisons with sprint distances, he would cross the 40-yard mark in just under four seconds. But the difference between these two when they're running, when Usain Bolt sprints down the track, everyone is cheering him on. When Chris Johnson is running down the field with a football in his hand, 11 other guys are trying to beat the daylights out of him. Chris Johnson did not rush for 40 yards every play. On average, he got knocked down every 4.8 yards. Nobody ever knocked down Usain Bolt while he's trying to run a sprint. I tell you that because walking in obedience is more like an NFL rush than a track and field sprint. There are obstacles. There are struggles. There are temptations. There will be those, if you try to follow Jesus, who will want to take you out. You will get knocked down sometimes, and you'll have to get back up. Now we're about to close. I want to do something different this morning. So I'm going to ask if you would go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And just listen to these words. Each week I talk about your next step in your faith, which, by the way, is for all of us. We all have a next step in our faith journey. This is a journey we're on. So we have a next step. And maybe you've already heard one this morning. Maybe there's something that has been said. Each week, I especially offer to those who have never surrendered to Christ an opportunity to open your heart up to him and to surrender to him. And if you need to do that today, by the way, with your eyes closed, if you need to do that today, I'd love to talk to you about that at the end of the service. I'll be right down front if you want to talk about that. But that's not what I talk about today. Right now I want to talk to those who are already followers of Jesus. To those of you who have already invited him in to be the Lord of your life. There's a Christian group called Casting Crowns that sings a song called, Does Anybody Hear Her? And the first line of that song is this. She's running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, here's what I want to know. Is that you? Seriously. Is that you? You're going through the motions. Even this morning, getting ready to be here, you put on your game face, but deep down you know you're running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Is that you? And if it is, is today the day you're going to do something about it? Is today your day? So if you would open your eyes, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Let's all stand, because I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. 
And if while you had your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you had a real uncomfortable feeling, my guess is you were getting a nudge that something's not quite right. And my guess is, too, quite likely you already know what that is. And it is time to stop running the opposite direction. It is time to come clean with God, to ask his forgiveness, to receive his forgiveness, and to walk next to him again. So if you're tired of running this morning, while we sing this song, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. I'm going to be right down front. If you'd like to talk about that, I'll be right there. Come on down while we sing or at the end of the service. The invitation does not close. So let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be as your children. And God, we're not, no one, it's not about being perfect. No one pretends perfection here. We all know that we sin. We all know that we fall short of your glory, that we don't take every step exactly correctly all the time. We do get some of them right, but not all of them. We get that. You get that. That's most important, actually. Father, thank you for being a God of second chances, just like you were with Jonah. You are with us today. But Father, for some of us here in this room this morning, there's something you've called us to, or you've called us away from. But somehow we've convinced ourselves that you don't notice. And this God doesn't get this part of my heart has taken over. And what seemed so minor before, we recognize now as willful disobedience to you. And that is not okay. And so God, this morning as we sing, Spirit, we pray that you'll work on our hearts tug, push, punch, create spiritual heart attack in this room if you need to, to help us be aware that you love us too much to let us go. As you chase down Jonah, chase us down in this room, Father, that we might walk next to you. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and each other. So, God, we pray for these words as we sing them. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.